Thursday, everyone, and welcome into episode two of Laker Sports Talk, a weekly production of Laker Country 1049 WJRS, right here in beautiful Russell County, Kentucky. I'm your host, Zach Oaks, the news director here at Laker Country 1049. I want to say a special thanks to all of you who listened and responded to our first episode. We received some great feedback from that first episode, and that truly means a lot to me. We have a full show for you today as we dive into what's happening in the Laker sports world. Lady Laker volleyball coach Faith Womack will join the show to talk about the volleyball season thus far and look ahead to a busy few weeks as the Lady Lakers contend for the 16th district title. Faith also talks a little bit about youth league volleyball, a new league started this year that has the potential to pay major dividends for the Lady Laker volleyball program in the future. Faith has a great enthusiasm for the volleyball program and continuing to build it, and I'm excited for you all to hear from her. And then we have Russell County High School Athletic Director Michael Carpenter making his Laker Sports Talk debut as he gives a glimpse behind the scenes of dealing with COVID and athletics. Michael gives us some really great insight into all the hidden work that goes on to continue having Laker athletics. And we'll also talk about the possibility of Russell County moving back to the 12th region. There are a lot of people who are diehard 12th region supporters and a lot who want to stay in the 4th region. Michael gives us some insight into what those discussions have been like and the pros and cons of moving. It's a great topic of discussion and one I think a lot of folks will be interested in hearing. We're also excited to bring back the second edition of our college sports segment. It was a fun weekend for college football around the bluegrass and Sean Hammond will join me to talk about all that went on, including that big Kentucky win on Saturday and a dominant performance from Lindsey Wilson. Finally, we'll name our Laker Sports Talk Athlete of the Week. But before we get into that, we have a few shout-outs to go through. First, we have to give a big shout-out to the Lady Laker golf team who took home a district championship last week. Winning a district championship is never an easy accomplishment, so congratulations to those Lady Laker golfers for coming out on top. Along with that, a shout-out to Mackenzie Troutman, who shot three under par to lead the Lady Lakers to victory. What a performance. Secondly, a big shout-out to the Laker football team. Took a two-week break, but the Lakers went on the road and pulled out a 45-42 win over Casey County. The Lakers are back on the road this Friday night in district play against a tough Warren East team. Best of luck to the Lakers. Third, and finally, shout-out to the 8th grade girls basketball and football teams. Both teams came away with dominant wins on 8th grade night. The 8th grade girls won 37-4. Yeah, 37-4 over Clinton County. That's not a basketball score you hear a lot, so congratulations to those young ladies. And the football team came up with a shutout on 8th grade night against Clinton County with a 20-0 win. I'm planning on having uh, Coach Reagan Helm of the Russell County Middle School Lady Lakers and Bryce Bailey, the middle school football coach, to join the podcast next week. So be looking forward to that. So without further ado, let's get into the show. All right, so we're excited to uh, have Lady Laker volleyball coach Faith Womack on the show. Faith, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So uh, volleyball season's, uh, we're we're right in the thick of it now. Uh, Just talk a little bit about uh, how the season's gone so far for you. All right, we have a really great group this year. We have a good mix of upperclassmen and underclassmen. Um, Lots of changes have taken place last year. We lost four seniors that contributed large amounts of varsity time. So in a way, we are rebuilding a little bit, just kind of stepping into a new normal with um, new leaders on the court and um, new upperclassmen. But so far, we've had a great start to the season. These girls have really um, battled some tough 12 region uh, 12th region teams, um, but um, the season is is well underway, and we have a big district game tonight, and we're looking forward to a big win and really being successful this year and hopefully taking back the district title. Yeah, you lost, uh, I believe it was four seniors from last year, and those four were, you know, regular starters, got a, got a lot of playing time. 
Uh, so we've had some young girls that have had to step up this year. How's that? Uh, how's that transition been for those girls? I think it's been a transition, but they have all handled it quite well. It's been a smooth transition. Um, all of those girls that are now playing varsity. Um, dressed last year as sophomores and even some of those as freshmen and then you know there's Briley Murray who's been playing varsity since she was an eighth grader um, so they have stepped up to the plate and I can honestly say that um, all of these girls are true leaders and that's kind of a unique situation they bring um, unique qualities to the table each and every one but um, I'm really excited to have them and um, they're working hard and um, really making a name for themselves uh, just, you know, and just seeing them on the court and then, um, you know, seeing some of the stuff they post online, it seems like it's a really close-knit group of girls, too. They are. They have great chemistry, and we talk about that a lot as a team. We don't take that lightly because, if truth be known, not every team has that, and I think that speaks to them as individuals. Um, they love each other, and they truly want to see each other do well, and I think that's an essential component that we're very fortunate to have. And, and, and in volleyball, I mean... Um, you have a, a lot of a lot of it depends on chemistry because there's so much communication that's going on on the court. Being able to have that chemistry both on the court and off the court, I'm sure, is has to be really critical for you all. Absolutely, and we have conversation all the time about holding each other accountable um, in a nice way, of course. But um, they know that um, everything that they do, you know, hinges on someone else's job, and they are really bought into um, working together as a team and uh, working hard to be successful. You know, we talked a lot. We talked about you know, you lost a lot of group, a lot of seniors from last year. Um, just one senior on your team this year, Sophie Shear, um, mm-hmm. and she's had a pretty solid start to the season so she far. Uh, talk about a little bit about what she's been doing on the court for you. Yeah, um, Sophie is a very special senior, and even last year as a junior, um, she didn't see a whole lot of varsity time, but um, she was voted amongst her peers as um, she received uh, one of our leadership awards, and she is. Um, a pillar on this team. She is the glue that holds them together, but she has really made um, strides in her own personal improvement as far as skills and um, aptitude of the game. But she um, she is a force at the net, and we are lucky to have her. She's an excellent middle hitter, middle blocker, and um, she has really had a great start to the season. Uh, yeah, I know she was um, – KHSAA put out some initial stats, and she was one of the top 30 in the state for blogs. Yes, uh, we were so excited <clears throat> to receive that news. She was number 29 on the list. But um, she – but, you know, when I enter those stats in the KHSAA, I'm not surprised that she's showing up on the list. And she really works at it. She has that mentality of I've got to get from point A to point B, and she really has a knack for the ball. So I'm not surprised at all, but very proud of her for that accomplishment. That's something to be noted. You know, not everyone makes um, a top list in the state. And um, one thing, too, I notice, um, you know, I've been to a couple games this season, and one of the things I notice, especially with her being the only senior, is when she's not in the game, she's like one of the biggest cheerleaders on the sideline, you know, really encouraging those younger girls. I think that's that's a really cool thing for you all, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And again, Sophie is that pillar, and she sets such an example, and she did that even last year. Um, but yeah, if she's not in the game, she is their biggest cheerleader on the sideline and always a positive voice for the girls, good, bad, or ugly. She is consistent in um, how she leads her team and, and keeps them upbeat. 
Let's talk a little bit. You're, you all are coming off of, um, you know, last week uh, pretty much shut down because the schools went virtual because of rising COVID cases. How do you all? How did you all handle that? And how do you uh, kind of bring your team back after you had that break last week? Well, that was an unfortunate break. We, um, in a way, didn't really see that coming. We got notification Monday afternoon that everything was going to be shut down for a few days, but. Um, we were fortunate enough to be able to go and play Saturday in the Soapy Slam. So um, we played five matches that day. So we kind of made up some lost time, but um, the girls just stayed in communication with each other. Of course, I was filling them in on details, but um, we knew when we showed up Saturday that we kind of had some rust to knock off. But um, they're a very um, strong mental team in the fact of like, I wasn't worried about them showing up and being um, excited to play and knew what they had to do but um, yeah it's unfortunate but it's just kind of the time that we're living in and they've come to kind of expect that interruptions could happen but they handled it well. Well and coming off last year when uh, you know there were some questions even if we'd have a season at all mm-hmm. so it, it, for them it's not it's not something that's totally blindsiding you know they kind of they've kind of got a little bit of experience with this sadly <laughs> they have some experience with this but I mean, last year there was a point where we weren't sure if there was going to be a season, so I'm sure that's, that that they were able to kind of handle that a little bit better than what maybe otherwise they would. Yes, and they know that um, it's in the back of their mind that at any time this could all get shut down. You know, hopefully it doesn't come to that. But I think they they hold that close and treat every practice and every game like, hey, this could be my last. I want to give it my all. So they they're very real with the terms of what we're going through. So um, this month is going to be um, a critical month for the team. Um, oh, five yes. district games this month, mm-hmm. um, you know, going to Clinton and going to Cumberland, I think host Clinton. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, this, this is going to be kind of like a make or break couple weeks for you. Talk about uh, the district games coming up and what, what do you see out of the district too? What do you see out of the other uh, squads in the district? Well, um, I think for Metcalf County, we've hosted them at home a couple of weeks ago, and that was a tough battle. You know, years ago, Metcalf um, wasn't as competitive of a team, but they have really uh, made strides and progress, and um, they're not a team to be overlooked. We were fortunate that we came out with a big win that night. Um, Clinton County, that's probably the team that we are looking most forward to beating. Um, they also lost three critical seniors that played a big role in their program. So I think it's really um, level playing field. Um, I'm really excited about playing tonight and just seeing how that outcome is. But um, we will get to host them at home for the second matchup. So um, my mindset is we're hoping for a big win tonight, but we definitely have time to work out some kinks between now and then. And then next Thursday, we will be at Metcalf. So I know that'll be a tough battle being on their home floor. Um, So moving forward, uh, also you all have started a youth league. Yes. Um, Talk a little bit about that. What kind of benefit does that have um, for you as the high school coach? What kind of, how does that benefit, uh, how does that benefit you all? Yeah, I'm really excited that we have been able to get this youth league off the ground. This is a conversation that has Um, been ongoing for I would say at least over a year this is one of the things that when I came on as the head coach I recognized that there was a need and um, it's a big undertaking but I'm really excited that this is coming um, coming to life so um, teams started practice this week 
Um, those are for grades four, five, and six. We've had almost 70 girls sign up. And when I originally kind of set a goal for this, I was hoping that maybe 30 kids would sign up, but um, we've had an overwhelming response. But I think this is critical for volleyball in our community. You know, prior to this, um, most girls have never touched a volleyball or have learned the skills of the game prior to getting to middle school. Um, and we do what we can. You know, we cover a lot of ground with our middle school program. I'm thankful for our coaches. Um, but I really think that this will help jumpstart their learning and their skills and their experience. And it's going to take a little while for us to see uh, the fruits of this labor, if you will. But I know that it's going to have a large payoff in the end because by the time kids get to middle and high school, they're already familiar. They have that experience under their belt and um, just seasons and years ahead of what we're looking at right now in terms of kids getting exposure. Yeah, I don't know. I know there's, um, you know, I mean, there's youth leagues for football and basketball and stuff like that. So having it for volleyball, I'm sure, is um, just another step toward, you know, getting those, getting those girls interested and uh, building up those basic skills that they need to know where they can get into middle and high school and, you know, learn the more advanced stuff. Absolutely. Uh, so, so that's really exciting. Um, all right, Faith, wrap this up. Um, you know, uh, any message out there to uh, Russell County fans? Tell them to come out and uh, see the volleyball girls in action. Yeah, I'd love to see our stands full of um, community. You know that you know to just kind of rally around the volleyball girls. I think COVID has kind of um, kept our numbers down lower, but as of right now, there's no restrictions with fans or spectators coming. So we welcome anyone and everyone to come watch these girls. They really are a special group, and we are just getting started. You know, every team. You know, it has growing pains, I think, on the front end of things. And again, you know, we've we've really had to kind of rebuild and find a new normal for us. But um, things are on the up for us, and I'm really excited for this season. And I know they're going to accomplish big things. And um, I think tonight's going to be a testament to that as we match up with Clinton County this evening. So, yeah, I'd encourage anyone to come out and watch these girls. They're really special. And um, go Lakers. All right, I'm happy to have uh, Russell County High School Athletic Director Michael Carpenter uh, joining the show today. Michael, how's it going? Uh, very good, Zach. Uh, how are you? Doing great. Um, wanted to kind of bring you in to talk a little bit about um, just what it's been like being the AD of the high school for the last three years, especially uh, with all the COVID. Well, I mean, we're now in year three of athletics of COVID being disrupted. Uh, it's been a crazy time. It it has been it's it's been uh, it's been a good, difficult time for the last three years. Uh, we started this as everyone remembers in the spring of 2020, and you know at that time all the athletic directors and coaches and everybody uh, basically you know they didn't want to have another year like 2020. Uh, but then we had to jump through the obstacles and the hoops and cancellations and forfeits and and it's you're right we're in year three and. There's a lot of challenges, uh, a lot more responsibility on my coaches and, and, and keeping kids safe. And, of course, our number one priority uh, um, with meeting with Mr. Ford and the board and everyone is to just make it as safe for our student-athletes as we can. So, And now you've had uh, a lot of instances where, you know, other team where either you're canceling or if another team's canceling, you're trying to frantically schedule another game because, you know, you want your, your coaches and your kids, they want to play. Yes, especially if you have an opportunity in healthy, more so now than ever, uh, you want to scramble and try to find a game and play that. And, uh, you know, the, the downside of it is is a lot of times you won't know till lunch on game day. And, and all of a sudden you'll get that phone call 
and uh, you know we've had we've had cases of COVID. We're quarantined. We're not going to be able to make the trip, and it does make it hard because the kids and their mental part of it. There's a lot of ups and downs, and it's hard on them because they train and work so hard. You know, I take our high school football team this year. Coach Richardson and them. You know, they started back July 15th, and uh, they've had all these practices, went through all the guidelines, done a great job, and then now. You know, we start, we're, we're going into the, you know, just got done with our fourth game of the season, but we've only got two football games in. So, you know, it's hard on the kids when they're not out there playing after they put so much in working on it. Um, talk about also, you know, the uh, all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, especially with indoor sports. I know I remember last year during basketball season, you had that big uh, cleaning machine running around and yeah. spraying seats off and spraying benches and uh, you've had to have uh, some li- you had to have some limited capacity last year, yeah. and now this year you're still dealing with uh, you know masks are still supposed to be worn indoors for those events. Uh, just talk about all those things that go on behind the scenes to make uh, those athletic events go off and make sure that those coaches and those players can still have a season. Yes, yeah, so we we get guidance from the Kentucky High School <laughs> Athletic Association along with the Kentucky Department of Public Health. But then we have to do things like uh, purchase equipment that's necessary to keep it as clean as we can. And, you know, we had to put in regulations of limited number of of seating for indoor games. Uh, You know, that was one of the hardest parts for me. Uh, Our blue seats at the high school that are sold out every year, we've had people coming to basketball games for 30 years, but we didn't sell any reserved seats last year because we couldn't. And, you know, some of those people didn't get to see a Laker home basketball game the whole season. And the same with football. Um, You know, we had to have limited capacity. We had to have name lists. We could only allow you to bring so much. And, uh, you know, there were people, you know, as good as our football team was last year, they didn't actually get to see them play a game because of all the restrictions. So there's just a lot goes into it. I can't say enough about my custodians, uh, Jim and Aaron Utter. Uh, Aaron does a lot of the outside stuff. He's cleaning constantly. Jim, he's a veteran. He's cleaning in the gym. He's helping me. But we would we would fog the gym, the bleachers in between games. We would wipe handrails. We would clean bathrooms. We would make sure trash was taken out more frequently. Just anything we could do to keep it safe. And I know that's, uh, you know, you talked about a lot of people who were missing games last year for the first time in years. And I know that's probably hard for a lot of people in the community, but it seems like most people have been pretty understanding and responded pretty well to the changes. Oh, they have, and it's just it's just typical Russell County. We have such a great community and support. You know, there's been a lot of people that's not agreed with the restrictions and things that's been put in place, but they are so willing to help follow the guidelines, and if it's wearing a mask, mask up so our kids can play and still support them. So we couldn't have asked for any more you know, any more of a support from our community through these hard times. And, I mean, with the changes, too, um, your coaches have had to buy in. Uh, have yes. had to buy into these changes, too. Just, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Well, of course, we have a coaches meeting before the start of each season, and, it, and we had it this year. And, you know, we went through all the prog- progressions, but, but basically our coaches do have to buy in and they have to set the example. Uh, for a lot of these student athletes, they spend more time with their coaches in season than they even do their own family. So it starts with the, with the coaches, assistant coaches, and the players are going to model what they're doing. And if they're doing that, 
then it's going to work out a lot better. And they have been. They have been 100% excellent. You know, I could be, last week I was on my on my mower mowing. I get a text from one of my head coaches. We had a positive case. So I immediately get off, start addressing that, letting the health department know, going through all the channels. But the, the communication has been excellent at all levels, uh, just making sure that we, we're covering all of our bases with it. And, you know, we're coming off of, um, you know, a week-long break. You know, you know, classes went virtual last week. And, uh, and so now we're getting, uh, we're getting back into athletics. And uh, just talk a little bit about how the fall sports season has gone in general. I mean, outside of, you know, the one-week hiatus, uh, just talk a little bit about how the fall sports season's gone. Fall sports is going really well. Um, of course, we have our girls and boys golf team. Uh, last week they both won the uh, 16th District Golf Tournament over at uh, Dale Hollow State Park. I uh, was really proud of them. Uh, Bentley Perkerson shot a, a par for the for the boys, and Mackenzie Troutman went three under for the girls, which that's a very tough course. Uh, they both won the 2A sectional, so they're competing in the 2A state championships in Owensboro coming up. So super proud of, you know, Coach Anderson does such a good job with them, Coach Melinda Wright for the girls. Um, our cross country, Coach Bowling, they're just now getting fired up. They haven't had any meets yet, but they're coming up. But they've been working very hard. Uh, of course, our girls and boys soccer team has been at it. Uh, Coach Betts and, and Coach Kirsty Chapman and, and Cheryl Newby's kind of stepped in for Coach Chapman. She's on a little bit of a leave, but um, they have been playing and practicing and, and doing really well and, and getting some wins. So this is only our second year for our soccer program. So. We're excited about that. Of course, our volleyball team, uh, Coach Womack, she is uh, she is putting in a lot of time. Uh, Katrina Hadley's come on board to help her this year, first year Laker alum, and they won a big tournament in Allen County a couple weekends ago. So there's a lot of good positive stuff going on. I do want to give a big shout out to uh, our cheerleaders. Um, our cheerleaders have been working hard. Uh, you're going to see them on Friday nights at the football game. You're going to see them in the gym for sports. And uh, they just, you know, they put in the effort year-round to make sure the atmosphere is what it needs to be. So I really appreciate Coach Ellis and all of our cheerleaders. Uh, as far as middle school-wise, Coach Bryce Bailey took over this year's head coach for their middle school team. And Coach Bailey's doing an excellent job. Um, and our girls' basketball team, Coach Reagan-Helm, she's uh, coaching them. They have had a wonderful start to the season. Uh, I know the seventh grade's undefeated, the sixth grade's undefeated, I think, still. And uh, I don't think the eighth grade's maybe only lost one or two games. So uh, Coach Blankenship's going to be excited for the future coming up with them. But it was just really good to get the kids back in person, get them in the building, uh, and then get fall sports going and, and try to do the best we can to maintain somewhat of a normalcy for the kids. You talked. You mentioned the cheerleaders there. Um, that was something last year that was way different. Um, you know, when you were looking at uh, you were looking at basketball games, especially you know they're in the gym, they're making a lot of noise, and they didn't get to start doing that until way later into the season. For those first few games, it was it was kind of, it was a little it was a lot quieter than usual. It, it, you could hear a pin drop at times, and you know I, I told people a lot of the student athletes would come up to me and. and and they would be like, uh, Coach Carpenter, when can the cheerleaders come back? Coach Carpenter, when can the pep band be back? And they had a new sense of, of what they bring to our events, whatever event. And, you know, that, that's like, you know, when the band, the pep band shows up and the cheerleaders, we got such a, such a good squad of both. 
they bring a whole new atmosphere to the gym or to the football field or wherever we're at. Of course, last year they wouldn't let the football cheerleaders travel, so there was no away games. You know, we usually they usually don't miss any away games. And then for basketball, of course, no cheerleaders uh, for away games. And a limited squad is how we had to start for all of our home games. And that wasn't until about three weeks into the season, I believe. So, yeah, it made a difference. So, um, we're going to switch gears here a little bit. Uh, I know there's some rumors going around, <clears throat> excuse me, that, uh, that, you know, that Russell County could possibly move back to the 12th region. Uh, you know, n- nothing's for sure, nothing's certain. There's still a lot of things we worked out. But uh, can you just talk a little bit about uh, maybe the pros and cons of that? What's good? What's bad about that? Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know a lot about it at this point, Zach, but I do know that back in the spring, uh, I am on the executive board of the Fourth Region Athletic Directors, and uh, I-, I was I was approached by one of the people from the Board of Control and just letting me know that uh, they were looking at doing some redistricting with basketball. Now, it was supposed to happen uh, in August at some point. I have not, I did never get an actual date they were doing it, so they may with this stuff going on and put it off, but they are looking at doing some restructuring, trying to do away with three team districts, things like that. Uh, I talked to my coaches and, and my coaches, I had, it's probably about a 50-50 split. You know, some of them like the fact of us going back to the 12th region. Uh, I personally, when I coached, my first 12 years of coaching was in the 12th region. When I was in high school, we were in the 12th region. Kind of parts for the 12th region. But then I've got my set of coaches and, 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 and people who have grown to love the 4th region. You know, finally, as of a couple of years ago, our football district got moved west of Lake Cumberland. So, uh, you know, all of our sports are going in the same direction now. Uh, one of the things that got the ball spinning on this is, is Monroe County filed a formal petition to be reinstated back into the 16th district. So there's going to have to be some decisions made. Uh, is the 16th district going to be a five-team district, which nobody likes five-team districts, or is somebody going to have to shift? Now, the, the talk is Russell County and Clinton County. Those are the two that the talking point is on. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see when they start coming down, uh, when it comes down, uh, you know, what the discussions are going to be. And I, and I should have a, more information, and I know they'll be reaching out more to the high school and, 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 and probably Mr. Ford and things when it does get closer. But it's a big job and a long task to redistrict high school basketball in the state of Kentucky. I know uh, you kind of touched on it there. I think uh, I think one of the big factors for a lot of people is just the, the nostalgia of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of people that remember when they they you know they're Laker alums and they played in the twelfth yeah. or um, they coached in the twelfth, like you mentioned, yeah. um, and or their kids played in the twelfth. Yeah. And so I, th- I think there's a lot really big nostalgia factor there that that's what people remember, and they weren't too keen on moving to the fourth, and now with the idea of moving back to the twelfth, they're all on board with that. Yeah. But it's a lot it's a lot more complex than just oh I lo- oh we'd love to go back. The biggest obstacle really we have is the time zone. Uh, it, it creates a lot of uh, a lot of scheduling things with officials and traveling teams, and you know the Eastern Time Zone versus the Central, and, and you know that's one of the uh, that's one of the obstacles we have when you do move, you know Russell County back to the 12th region. Uh, but 
you know, with that being said, my coaches are so good to, to work with anything. Um, if we get to go back to the 12th, we're going to be excited and we're going to we're going to go full steam. If we stay in the fourth, we're going to be excited and, and then go full steam ahead. So, I mean, it, so in, in the event that Russell County did move back to the 12th, we would be the only ones on the central time zone, right? Uh, probably so. Yeah, that was one of the big reasons I've been told that before that we did get moved because we were in the central time zone, everybody else was eastern. So, yeah, pretty much you can obviously you go to Casey, Pulaski, any of those are going to be an hour ahead. So. All right, Michael, that's all we had for today. Uh, appreciate you uh, joining the show and talk, you know talking a little bit about what it's been like for the last couple of years. And uh, I know a lot of people will be interested in that discussion about the 12th region. Thanks yes. for coming on. Well, thank you and appreciate uh, all you all do. We've been through a lot, now we're headed to the top and it's only getting better. Just watch because we got that defense, 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 yeah. All right, and I'm joined again by Sean Hammond for our second edition of our college sports segment where we talk a little bit about uh, some of the college football programs around the state and just uh, college football in general. Uh, Sean, how are you doing today? Doing good, Zach. Glad to be back here on the program. So we had a uh, pretty interesting week in uh, college football through the first two weeks. It's been uh, really fun. I'm glad. I am so glad that college football (laughs) is back, that... uh, you know, fans are back in the stands. Uh, of course, uh, you and I, we've both been to the, the first two Kentucky games. My and goodness, that atmosphere uh, this past Saturday, could, wasn't that just amazing to be a part of? Saturday night was fun. It's, I mean, it was one of the most electric atmospheres I've seen in Kroger Field since, I don't know, maybe – Maybe when Bud Dupree had that interception against South Carolina. I don't know. It was, it was wild. It was rocking. I think, you know, I, I could probably – count on one hand the total number of minutes that I actually sat down during the game it was mostly a standing crowd only and from from the minutes that uh they did that little tribute for the uh the 9-11 uh victims and they had the military out there that was just so amazing they had a fly over the stadium that crowd was just so hyped and it really never stopped. You know, there was a few times where Missouri kind of got the crowd to be quiet, but not a lot. That, I think I really think the crowd really helped the team uh, pull out the victory. Yeah, well, uh, you know, going to that, you know, Kentucky pulled out a thirty-five to twenty-eight win. It was a close game, Sean. I thought, uh, you know, Kentucky was up twenty-one to seven driving down the field, and Chris Rodriguez fumbles into the end zone, and I thought. Oh no, we're back at where we were with old Kentucky football. <laughs> I, I hate to admit that that thought comes uh-huh. back into my head, but they do. They fumble into the end zone, they get the touchback, and then Missouri drives down and scores a touchdown. You pretty know, easily, pretty easily, and it's twenty-one to fourteen going in half, and the air just kind of deflated out of the stadium. Yeah, I thought that. I really thought it should have been twenty-eight to nothing at halftime. Could have been a case for you know thirty-five to nothing. Uh, but we got a silly pass interference play and uh, negated an interception that we actually got on the play. It turned out to be uh, twenty-one to fourteen, and they uh, they got the they got fourteen. They scored that last touchdown right at the end of the first half. And you're right that the air was kind of out of the building at that point. But you know we really got off to a uh, hot start at the start of the uh, second half, Zach. Yeah, Jarquez Jones picked up that interception. To me, that was the play of the game. Uh, Absolutely. If if we don't get that interception, Missouri was driving on that play. They could have very well went down there and tied the game. And if they tie the game at twenty one, starting off the second half, I don't know. I, I don't know what happens after that. But it's not. I don't. I have this weird feeling that it wasn't going to be good. So that interception to me was the play of the game. And that second half was fun. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean you I mean, you know, it wasn't um you know, the ball wasn't being thrown around. Kentucky didn't throw the ball around as much as they did in the first half, but they didn't have to. I mean, Chris Rodriguez was picking up uh, picking up chunk yards on the ground. So, I mean, that's what that's what we went to, and that's what we wanted to see out of the offense. It doesn't. It isn't a pass-heavy offense that Liam Cohen's running. It's an offense that's going to take whatever the defense gives. And on Saturday, Missouri was giving us yards on the ground, so you have to take what you can get. Yeah, and we know that that's what Mark Stoops wants to do. Mark Stoops wants to be a tough, physical team that runs the ball down your throat. But, you know, Missouri, their, uh, their defensive line is just not at the caliber it needs to be. Plus, Kentucky has the big blue wall. You know, Chris Rodriguez, he did have the fumbles, but, man, he had 206 yards rushing. And uh, Wanda Robinson, 73, he got most of that on one play. Cavassier Smoke, 41 rushing yards. So, I mean, the, the run game was there. And if you can't stop it, then why why go why go away from it? Will Levis did have did have some good throws. He was ten of eighteen for one seventy nine. It wasn't the uh, the three hundred he had in the uh, Louisiana Monroe game, but he's not going to throw for three hundred yards each game, and he doesn't need to. No, and I and I actually thought um, I actually thought Levis played really well. I actually picked up some big plays on the ground. I mean, he totally trucked. A Missouri linebacker. I mean, that's your quarterback putting his shoulder down and just running somebody over. And I was, I mean, I was ecstatic. I was about to run out on the field and high fiving myself. <laughs> yeah, and you know, credit to Missouri. Their uh, their running back Beatty, he just he really lit us up. And their quarterback, I actually sat behind uh, the, uh, the guy that coached Missouri's quarterback uh, Basilak in high school. And we were talking about him, and he's a really good quarterback. He had four touchdowns in that game. So Missouri, while I thought we should have been up by a lot, they give credit to Missouri for sticking around. And, I mean, that's a good Missouri team. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, right now I think if if you're pegging the SEC East – I think Georgia's first, Florida's second, and then I think Kentucky's third, and then I think Missouri's fourth. Mm-hmm. So that game was that game was key to getting to third in the SEC East. And I mean, I don't know, you know, depending on what you think of Florida, Florida's not looked like a elite team during the first couple of weeks. That game could possibly be who decides who gets into second. I don't know, but uh, you had to pick up that win, and, and I think it was one of the most important games of the year. Oh, I think so too. I think if you don't win that game. I don't think the I don't think the really good season that you possibly have on the table is there for the taking. So uh, you know it was a big game for Mark Stoops to win, and also it was a really interesting game for Mark Stoops to win because now he's over five hundred as the head coach of Kentucky. Who would have thought a coach of Kentucky would ever be over five hundred? And I'm not trying to be funny, but you know me and Zach, you know you mentioned he, he talked earlier about how we were like, oh no, this is Kentucky football. We're scarred Kentucky fans. We've got scars on us. We've seen, you know, we've seen what Kentucky football can be whenever it's you know down, down as it used to be. But you know, Mark Stoops has taken this program to places I never thought it would be. And yeah, he's what fifty-one and fifty now as the head coach, and he is he's he, like I said, he's doing things that I didn't think was possible here. Well, you go back, um, you know, from UK athletics after two games of the 2016 season, his record was 12 and 26. Think about those first few years, you know, the first year he went two and 10 and then a couple of five and seven seasons after that. So, I mean, I mean, he was well into the hole to start out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but since then, since, uh, since that point in the 2016 season, it's 39 and 24. 
that's not we're not used to seeing that at Kentucky and not in football. And I mean, honestly, I would I would be willing to venture the coaches that are in the SEC. He, it's one of the best ones. I mean, Mark Stoops is one of the longest tenured coaches in the SEC. Yes, he was hired in uh, 2013. That, that's when he uh, got hired. And I'm trying to think. You know, uh, Nick Saban is uh, has been here longer than Stoops. Is that it? I think that off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody else. I do believe that 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 Stoops is the longest tenured coach. I'm pretty sure that that's right. So it's it's Saban number one, and then Stoops number two. He, I mean, he's been here a while and is on the verge. Um, for all the uh, for all the history nuts out there, he's got he's got 51 wins. Paul Bear Bryant holds the school record with 60. Yeah, I think I, I think there's a lot of people that don't realize that Bear Bryant coached here. And technically won a national championship here. I don't, I'm not sure how. I don't think it's widely recognized, but uh, there, Kentucky is te- did technically win a national championship, albeit back in the uh, I think it was what the 50s. The 50s. So it's it wasn't under the same standards. But mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Bear Bryant of Alabama fame was actually at Kentucky and won 60 games here. But Mark Stoops is nine wins away from tying Bear Bryant for the most all time. You know, it's it's not it. Probably not this year. I mean, it would take a really great season this year, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. But at least next year, oh, yeah. Mark Stoops is, is will very likely become the winningest coach in UK football history. And I, I don't know. I had high hopes when Stoops was hired here, but I didn't know if he would become the all-time winningest coach no. in the program. No, it's is is there starting to could there be an argument made that he may become the best coach in UK football? It, it's hard to. It's hard to put him over Bear Bryant when you look at some of those teams in the 50s. But considering the circumstances, considering where where today's SEC is, you know, pound for pound, I don't know. I think Mark Stoops is one of the best coaches this program's ever had. I don't know if he is the best, but he's among the best. Well, let's just go back. When Stoops started here, there was a a famous report that that his first year they did a scrimmage. And I can't remember who who the scrimmage was against. It was a lower division school. And they lost that scrimmage. That's how depleted the talent roster was here at Kentucky. And we just got the number one JUCO player to commit to Kentucky. Who Nobody. Five-star kids are visiting the campus. Nobody thought that that was possible here. I certainly didn't. And, you know, go back to a couple of years ago when we beat Penn State, Kentucky beating Penn State in the Citrus Bowl. Mark Stoops has done things that I don't think anybody thought could happen here. Yeah, I, I think it's a testament to where the talent's at now, the what they've done in recruiting, what they've done program building. Um, it, overall, just he's done an impressive job. And and Mitch I, Barnhart deserves credit too. He, he stuck with Stoops. He made the uh, the changes necessary to the uh, facilities. You know, uh, Peter Burns from the SEC Network said Kentucky was uh, probably the ten best job to have in football. And who would have thought of that? But he, he made some really good points in there. And I thought the biggest one was the fact that our fan base has reasonable expectations. You know, there's some fan bases that think that if you don't win the national championship, you should be fired. Well, here at Kentucky, personally, if you get seven to nine wins, I'm thrilled. Oh, absolutely. If you're, if you're regularly winning – uh, seven, eight, nine. You know, throw it. You know, throw a ten-win season in there or something like that. I, I'm thrilled. I mean, I, I'll take that every year because shoot, I've seen. Shoot, we suffered through the Joker years where two and ten was regular, and we were getting beat forty to nothing by Vanderbilt. Been yeah. home with ten people in the stands. We've been there, <laughs> done that. When you've been to the bottom, 
you, you'll take what we've got right now and you'll take it gladly. Absolutely. When, when Stoops first got here, I was begging for six and six. And now, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like if we, I feel like if this year, if we don't get to at least eight wins, that's kind of a minor disappointment minus any major injuries. And who would have thought that? You know, I mean, just a few years ago, I was begging just to get to some kind of crappy bow. Yeah, well, uh, well, I mean, six and six would be, you know, a little bit of a disappointment. But, I mean, if you're regularly winning seven, eight, nine games, we're going to take that. We're, we're going to take that, and we're going to be fine with that. Because, I, I mean, Kentucky's not Alabama. No, and I don't think we ever will be. And we're, and we're, not, we're not even – we're not Georgia. But, you know, who's to say that on some off year – we might win the East. I mean, Missouri did it. Yeah. And, well, why can't we be like what South Carolina was when Steve Spurrier was there? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we're going to transition here a little bit uh, and talk a little bit about uh, the the other uh, team in the state, the Louisville Cardinals. Uh, <laughs> you know, they took a 30-3 to win against Eastern, Sean, but, you know, we, you and I were talking about it. Leaves a lot, a lot to be desired from that win. Yeah, you know when I I told you that score on Saturday when we got to the game, and I was like, you know, yeah, that's thirty to three. And no offense to Eastern, but I would expect more. And interestingly enough, Zach, fourteen of the thirty points that was from a muffed punt that turned out to be a short field for Louisville, and then Louisville also got a punt return. Yeah. So the off, I mean, offense. I, I still think there's a lot to be left, a lot to be seen there. You know, um, Malik Cunningham, you know, came off of a bad week one, was better in week two, but um, still, I mean, still, I just think there's a lot to be shown there. Now, the defense was good. I'm going to give credit to the Louisville defense. I only gave up three points, forced three turnovers, but you go back to offense, I'm mean, four of 14 on third down. That That's unacceptable, to be honest with you. That's not going to win. I mean, that, that'll win, that'll get you a win over Eastern. That's not going to get you wins in the ACC. No, and they've got Clemson this year. And it, if they play like that against Clemson, they're going to lose by a lot. Well, they're going to – I mean, you're not going to beat the likes of Boston College or uh, Wake Forest or Virginia going 4-14 or 14 on third down, most likely. I mean, I mean, could happen, but your odds of doing that are pretty slim. You did get something wrong. Uh, 13 of their 30 points was, uh, was on that muff punt and the punt return. They actually missed the extra point on that punt return. So technically 13 of their 30, but you know, I would expect, you know, and no offense to Eastern, they've had a pretty good solid football program. I would expect Louisville to win to at least put up 40 or 50. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, a receiver, I think his name is uh, Bruce Huggins. He had four receptions for 151 yards <laughs> on Louisville. So, uh, they've got some playmakers, but you know, Zach, I thought Scott Satterfield could do a good job at Louisville, and I still think he may have a chance to turn it around. But I think it's at the point, and I think the fans would agree, that if they don't get to a bowl this year, they're probably going to be looking for a new head coach. Yeah, I mean, well, their schedule their schedule is manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they avoid uh, – I would avoid love Mi- for Kentucky to have that schedule. Oh, yes. They avoid Miami. They avoid Virginia Tech. Uh, they don't play North Carolina. So that's three of your, three of your – you know, more top-tier teams in the ACC. They got Florida State uh, on the 25th. Florida State just lost to Jacksonville State, which I don't know if a lot of people listening have ever heard of that school. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, their schedule's manageable, but, um, I mean, Satterfield's going to have his work cut out for him, and they, I mean, they, I mean, bare minimum, they have to reach a bowl game. They have to, you know. uh, And the, the other thing, 
is, you know, I, I think he can still turn it around. The future is, you know, that that's really a big thing you have to look at in deciding what you're going to do with your head coach. The future is not that promising based if you just base it off recruiting rankings. I think they're in the 80s. Is that right? Yeah, the recruit. Yeah, uh, the recruiting rankings aren't that great. Which, of course, you still got some time to add some recruits, and you know the transfer portal's open now. And, and it's all about developing that that talent. Yeah, too. so uh, you can't base everything off recruiting rankings, but having a strong recruiting class helps. And uh, I don't know, Satterfield may be able to clean up in the transfer portal. Um, you know find some talented players there you know look what kentucky's done in the transfer portal with wandell yeah. robinson will levis dare rosenthal uh jacques jones we talked about i mean yeah i mean you can you can find some you can find some real diamonds in the transfer portal and uh, and if you know if they don't if they don't find uh some impact players with uh incoming freshmen i may have to look to the transfer portal and uh, another thing that they need to do is make sure that they Keep a close watch on their seats in the stadium. Oh yeah, there was reports of mold on the seats. That's <laughs> I, I did see. Uh, you know, they did have some issues with some concession lines and stuff like that. I did see where Vince Tyree said they're going to offer uh, half price drinks on uh, Saturday. And cre- credit to him for doing that. Yeah, I think. I, I, I mean, uh, you know, it, it was a. It, it's hard to say that their network went out, and so that, you know. I think they had to manually put in the credit card numbers, which that that had to have been horrible. So you know, th- some things like that are just out of your control. Um, but yeah, that's I think that's a good way to come back. You know, during the first half, they're going to offer half price drinks, and so uh, we know those concession prices are way crazy. Yeah, I think I spent like thirty dollars and got a hot dog, <laughs> uh, water, and then a pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good hot dog, though. <laughs> And uh, jumping around now a little bit, too, um, shout out to our uh, friend and uh, listener, Nick Shear. Uh, he, <laughs> a big Western fan, Nick is, and uh, Western came up short a little bit on Saturday against Army. Yeah, uh, he wanted us to talk about them, and then the minute he brings them up, they go out and they lose over the weekend. You know, they uh, rallied against Army, lost 38-35, to 35, tried to come back in the fourth quarter, but uh, couldn't quite do it. But hey, we got to give a shout out to um, Western's quarterback Bailey Zappi. Third in the name, yeah, interesting name. He's on the all name team. Uh, third in the nation in yards and in, in passing yards, and second in touchdowns. That's crazy. He uh, had four hundred thirty five yards and a loss. And, and Western Kentucky's had a pretty good football program over the last you know decade. Remember, there was two straight years where they beat Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a, a solid program they've built over there in Bowling Green, and uh, you know Army's a tough team, so they, they took a, they took a loss there, and they're going to be off this week uh, on a bye week. But then coming back on September 25th, they host Indiana, and I haven't been too impressed with Indiana in the first two weeks. They got blown out by Iowa, and then they uh, you know played a little cupcake team and got a win. But if you ask me, that might be an upset alert on the 25th. Especially, especially if Zappy can throw the ball around like that. I mean that. I mean Western's going to put up points. So if they can put up some points against Indiana, and uh, you know de- that defense can hold, that that could be an upset in the making. I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't run to the bank to put money on it, but it might be something worth watching. It would be interesting to watch. Then they have Michigan State after that, which Michigan Michigan State's been kind of down the last few years. Western has a chance to make some noise this year. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, especially in the non-conference there with Indiana and Michigan State, uh, two Big Ten teams. I wouldn't be surprised if Western pulled out at least one of those. 
I got to give a shout out to uh, Murray State over in Western Kentucky. They played Cincinnati over the weekend. Uh, they did lose forty-two to seven, but they did hold Cincinnati to seven points in the first half. They were actually tied with Cincinnati, uh, tied at seven at halftime. So, and I got to give credit to Murray State on that because Cincinnati's a tough, tough team. They're top ten. Yeah, Cincinnati's a good team. A team that you know, if all go, if you know, if all goes well, could very well end up uh, busting into the playoffs if some things shake out with some of the other Power Fives. We had Ohio State fall over the weekend. That certainly helped Cincinnati. You know, I'm not overly impressed with a lot of the teams in the top five minus Alabama. Yeah, I think this year the playoff might just be wide open. You know, maybe this is the year that a Cincinnati jumps in or – uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe an Iowa comes out of nowhere. I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what to expect. Alabama's going to be there. Be nice if Kentucky can make a run. Hey, at, at this point, anything's possible. But <clears throat> talking about Alabama and number one teams, there's a number one team right up the road in Columbia. And uh, I'm happy as a Lindsey Wilson alum that uh, Lindsey Wilson football is once again number one in the country. Uh, hell, they hosted number four Kaiser. Yeah, I know Kaiser's not exactly a brand name around the country. Hey, number four, though. But they are number four in the country. It's a rematch of last year's playoff semifinals. So Kaiser was right there in the semifinals last year. Lindsey Wilson beat him in the playoffs last year. Uh, came back for a rematch at uh, now the Parnell Family Stadium in Adair County. Uh, rematch from that game. Lindsey Wilson wins 34-2. to 34-2. to they got a safety. <laughs> that it, the fact that we have a football, I'm just going to say it, a powerhouse, literally 15 minutes away, it's pretty amazing. And a national champion. And they're looking like they, they might repeat this year. They brought a lot of pieces back from that club last year. I, it wouldn't surprise me if they're right there again. Um, you know, on Saturday, forced four turnovers, outgained Kaiser 420 to 226. Uh, just a just dominating win. And, um, uh, I, you know, I don't see – you look at the schedule, there's not a lot of teams that uh, I see really knocking them off. So uh, they're going to be back in action on the 25th, uh, going on the road to uh, North Carolina. There's a team in North Carolina they're going to play that week. Um, you know, maybe the, maybe the makings of another national championship right down the road. Well, Sean, we're, we're running out of time here, so we're going to uh, wrap this up. Thanks again for joining me for our uh, college sports talk segment. Thanks again to Faith and Michael for joining me on the show this week. They're definitely two people who have a passion for what they do, and I just want to say a thank you to them for all the work they put in. A lot of it goes unseen, and uh, they definitely deserve some props for that. And thanks to Sean for joining me for some college football talk. We always have a good time with that, and I hope you all enjoy that. And without further ado, it's time to name our Laker Sports Talk Athlete of the Week. When you go on the road and score five touchdowns in a rivalry game to help lead your team to victory, it's hard to ignore such a performance. So congratulations to Russell County Lakers quarterback Gavin Gossage, our Lakers Sports Talk Athlete of the Week. Gavin led the Lakers to victory by rushing for 100 yards and four touchdowns while completing nine of 13 passes for 149 yards and another touchdown through the air. Anytime you put up those numbers, it's worthy of recognition. So congrats to Gavin and best of luck on Friday. That's all for today. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Laker Sports Talk. If you have any questions or comments for the show, shoot me an email at Zach, Z-A-C, at LakerCountry.com. And remember, we'd love for you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Just search Laker Country, and if you like what you hear, feel free to leave us a review. Until next time, God bless, and go Lakers.